I know, I know. Some of y'all are probably sitting there wondering right now, Andrew, you did not actually go and watch game film on Georgia. There's no need to do a breakdown on them. They're the number one team in the country. Please tell me that you actually did something productive with your life. Well, the answer to that would be no. I did take a look at Georgia, and we'll be talking about that today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You are Locked On Gamecocks. Your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks Podcast. Your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always... Thank you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. So be sure to subscribe and click the bell on YouTube if you want future alerts and notifications on any future shows of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. And for those of you who listen to us on audio, be sure to give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts daily. All right. So, as I mentioned, the cold open for today's show, I am going to indeed do an in-depth breakdown on the number one team in the country in the Georgia Bulldogs. I watched a decent amount of their game against the Oregon Ducks from back in week one. So, I'll be talking about some of the play-calling tendencies that I noticed from this team, both on offense and defense, along with some of the personnel and what I thought of some of the players on both sides of the ball. And at the end of today's show, I'm going to talk about some injury updates from Coach Beamer that he discussed at his Tuesday press conference yesterday afternoon. So let's go ahead and get all right into it with the breakdown on Georgia's team. And I'm going to start off with the defensive side of the ball. So even though Georgia lost, I believe, seven starters or maybe even eight starters from their 2021 football team, uh, yeah, this defense is still going to be one of the best in college football by season's end. And it's a type of defense where the coaches have a lot of trust in the players using their athleticism and their instincts to make plays. This is not a defensive scheme, at least from what I saw in the Oregon game, where there's a whole lot of real complexity to it. The coaches really don't try to throw out a whole lot of sort of unique alignments and whatnot to try to really confuse a defense they pretty much just line up and they try to get after whoever's got the football and they pretty much believe that they're going to make a play every single time they don't believe that you can score or really do a whole lot of damage against their defense that's sort of the way that Georgia's defense ends up playing now from a formation standpoint Georgia can run anything from a 4-2-5 all the way to even a 3-3-5 And maybe once in a blue moon, they'll even throw out a 3-2-6. But Georgia's main formation on defense is their 3-4 defense. That is the main defense that they usually like to trot out there. That usually especially is shown on later downs like second and third down. Their 4-2-5 or nickel defense normally is seen on earlier downs in a drive. Now... When Georgia does end up blitzing their opponent, they will typically overload one side of the offensive line with multiple defenders. And what they kind of do is a little bit unique in this aspect. Georgia kind of stacks the extra defender who is obviously going to blitz right behind another defender, usually on the defensive line. So they might stack like a Sam linebacker right behind their right defensive end, for example. And 
wherever that extra defender lines up, they pretty much take the gap that they are sort of shadowing over now. So in the scenario that I just brought up, the right defensive end might end up crashing inside towards the offensive guard, while the blitzer on that play just pretty much shoots straight at that gap that, again, that they're sort of shadowing over, and they'll try to sort of wrap and bend around the offensive tackle in that particular scenario. And when it comes to obvious passing situations, Georgia's edge rushers or their entire defensive line even will take wide alignments for their pass rush lanes, which really defines the angle that they're going to try to work in order to get to the quarterback and sort of how they want to condense the pocket from the outside in. So basically, the only way that the quarterback can escape is by running up in the pocket. Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, well, Andrew, I don't really see a whole lot of college defenses use a wide alignment in terms of how they line up up front on obvious passing downs. Why is that the case? Well, really, truthfully, the reason why Georgia runs this kind of wide pass rush alignment on passing downs a lot more than other college football teams is simply put, they think that they've got better athletes than you. They've got guys that are extremely strong, really fast. Most of the guys they have going out on the field were former five or high four-star recruits coming out of high school. And once again, they're just going to put trust in the guys that they have going out on the field that they're going to go out there and make a play. They're going to trust that your quarterback is not even going to have time to work their way up the middle and out of the pocket. That somebody from their entire front is going to to get there. Again, it just tells you how much trust the coaches have in the personnel they have going out there. And speaking of personnel, there's a few guys that, of course, do stick out to me. But again, Georgia has the talent and athleticism from top to bottom on this defensive roster, which means that they like to run a lot more man-to-man blitzes. Again, mano a mano, they think that their guy is going to beat your guy every single play. So Georgia is not afraid to run man-to-man coverage, which again, you don't really see a whole lot of maybe in the NFL, and not even really as much in college. The only programs you see in college that use this kind of coverage a lot are, again, teams that have superior talent and athleticism advantages like Georgia usually does, even though they are in the SEC, which is a very scary thought when you think about it. Now, Georgia's defensive line, they're pretty well coached in terms of understanding how important leverage is. The one Big factor in terms of pass rush or maybe trying to fend off a run block for a defensive lineman is basically their pad level. If they're standing straight up and their arms are sort of pinned up against their chest like this, the offensive lineman, even if they're not the strongest guy out of that 1v1, the offensive lineman probably nine times out of ten is going to win that one-on-one matchup. Georgia's defensive linemen, they don't ever have issues like that. Those guys understand how to sort of keep a diagonal angle with their bend from their hips all the way up to their upper body. They never are standing upright and they understand how important leverage is and they adjust as the play continues. They don't progressively continue to stand up to the point where, again, they're standing straight up like they're basically a billboard and then they can just get knocked over. They don't do that during plays. And I will say this, if I do have one, I guess, sort of negative about Georgia's defensive front, the defensive linemen seem to lack a lot of finesse moves in their pass rush arsenal. These guys don't really have a whole lot in their repertoire. These are guys that rely a lot on their athleticism, speed, and power to win a lot of their one-on-one matchups. So you'll see a lot of guys try to just do a simple dip and rip, where basically they'll take their inside hand, they'll try to stick it all the way down near the grass or astro turf, and they'll pretty much, again, try 
try to use their leverage and then just rip up underneath the offensive lineman's outside arm so that that way, if the offensive lineman has any way of trying to stop them at that point, they pretty much have to hold them. So either way, they're going to get a hit on the quarterback, pressure the quarterback and make him go out of the pocket, or the offensive lineman is going to get flagged for holding. Either way, that's a win for the defensive lineman right there. And of course, Georgia defensive linemen can also just simply bull rush, which basically means that they're just, again, trying to give a real powerful blow with both their hands around that outside AC joint of the offensive lineman and pretty much just try to drive them on back through their leg power, working like pistons in an engine all the way back to the quarterback. That's the other way in which Georgia's D-line will try to win those battles. Um, two guys stick out to me the most on Georgia's defense, again, just based off of the Oregon game. But again, a lot of these guys you could probably name for maybe the top players on this defense. Uh, Nolan Smith is one guy that stuck out to me. He's got a really quick burst off of the snap against offensive linemen. So South Carolina's O-line, they're going to need to know where Nolan Smith is lined up on every single play in this game this upcoming Saturday. And then Christopher Smith, one of Georgia's safeties on their defense. He is a solid veteran safety. He's one of the few upperclassmen, at least that I could see, on their defense. I believe he's a senior, which for a Georgia defense that trots out so much talent is a little bit rare to see. Uh, he's really aggressive, he's very instinctual, and he's very physical in terms of tackling ball carriers, and his instincts really show up the most in coverage. He laid a couple of pretty solid hits on some Oregon receivers in that game when they were trying to catch some deep passes. So if you try to cross Christopher Smith on a deep route, you very well may end up in the dirt and not getting up for a few seconds. So again, top to bottom, this Georgia defense is real solid, and there's not a whole lot of complexities with it. They keep things pretty simple, it seems like, in terms of their alignment. They will switch up the formations based on the situation, but again, they're going to trust their personnel to go out there and get the job done. So what is it that Georgia does on offense? Who are the players to watch on the offensive side of the ball, and why could that be the side of the ball that is the most dangerous in this matchup on Saturday. Well, I'll get into all of that in just a few moments, but before I do so, I need to talk about our sponsors for today's show in Bet Online. Now, y'all know that Bet Online is the fastest and the easiest way to check out on all of your betting needs. You can find all of your sports and events at the number one online source for all of the odds, lines, and games, including reviews and news of every league, like the NFL, where we are officially underway with the regular season. You also got college football that you can watch. You've also got Major League Baseball, NBA, the NHL, combat sports, golf, and yes, even esports as well. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering needs, including live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered wherever you need them. So be sure to head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn the latest about the trends and action because BetOnline is where the game starts. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so I've talked about Georgia's defense from a play calling and personnel standpoint back in segment one. So now I'm going to talk about their offense in terms of play calling and personnel. So in terms of Georgia's offensive play calling, they run it out of the shotgun a ton now, which is a far cry from what Georgia was doing three, four, five years ago, where you saw them go under center a ton and running a lot of rushing plays. 
But now Georgia seems like that they decide that they are a team that wants to throw the ball a little bit more, at the very least be maybe a little bit more balanced, but they're not afraid to throw more than they run it. And in terms of formation, they line up in 11 personnel a lot, which basically means that they have one running back on the field and one tight end out on the field, normally in line with the offensive line. And sometimes they'll have 12 personnel where, again, basically the only difference between 11 and 12 personnel is they have two tight ends instead of one in line with the O-line. Sometimes, though, they will have a tight end lined up near the numbers. And if there's no in-line tight end, then they'll usually have trips to one side of the field. Basically mean that there's three receiving threats out on the line of scrimmage on one side of the field. Now, they have a ton of different unique plays that they will call out of their offense. They will sometimes call sort of a slot receiver jailbreak screen where basically the offensive line olays the defensive lineman does not care about anything that they do and they just try to go up the field immediately to the second level to these linebackers to try to create some lanes for the receiver or tight end that is catching the quick screen pass from Stetson Bennett and they love to use tight ends sometimes as blockers in the screen game and They'll have them aligned pretty close to whoever is catching the screen pass so that they can help out immediately, typically against a defensive back who more often than not is going to be overmatched in that regard. They will also use tempo selectively to change up the pace off of a successful offensive play, sort of like Arkansas did this past week against South Carolina. And in terms of their tempo plays, they seem to throw a lot more short, quick passes when they were running tempo. Again, at least that was just the trend that I noticed in their game against Oregon. They will also use pre-snap motion a lot to gauge what the defensive coverage is. But they'll also use pre-snap motion sometimes to give the ball to their offensive weapons in space, especially Lad McConkey. He seems to be a guy where if he goes into motion and he's going through the offensive backfield, there's a chance that he could very well just get a quick touch pass or a jet sweep handoff from Stetson Bennett. Or they could sometimes use a guy who is in pre-snap motion as an extra blocker to the side of the field where the play is going to end up going. They will also sometimes line up in a close bunch formation out of the shotgun. What I mean by a close bunch formation is this. A bunch formation basically involves three players being lined up very close together. Sort of think about it like it is a triangle. It can be a upright triangle shape or an upside down triangle shape depending on what the formation calls for but for Georgia they typically line up in a upright triangle shape bunch formation this bunch formation will be almost right next to the offensive line and the third person out of the bunch that is lined up the closest to the offensive line is normally one of Georgia's tight ends and they typically will line up sort of staggered and right behind the offensive tackle on that side of the field. And the thing about bunch formations is they are an absolute nightmare for a defense to have the game plan around because you could do a multitude of things out of the bunch formation. You can run sort of a mesh concept, which basically involves a bunch of short, like shallow cross, drag routes, maybe some spacing routes, where guys are basically just going to one particular space on the field and then just stopping turning around and waiting for the quarterback to try to throw the ball if they wind up getting it that will of course make all the defenders have to run all over the place trying to keep up with their guys 
They can also run sort of like a high-low-mid passing concept, which basically means that the low is a short passing route, the mid is an intermediate passing route, and of course the high is a deep passing route, sort of like an oblong post route in this kind of formation. And they could also just decide that they're going to run the ball. They could do sort of a toss sweep to the halfback, and if they do it to the side where the bunch formation is located, they've already got three blockers probably more so tight ends, that are now lined up out there that are going to be ready to pick up any DBs or linebackers that are trying to get over there as quick as they can to try and cut off the ball carrier right at the line of scrimmage. So, bunch formations, again, put it bluntly, it's a nightmare for defenses to have to deal with. They also like to use play-action bootleg at times, which sort of involves basically this fake handoff that Stetson Bennett in this case will do with either Kendall Milton or Ben McIntosh, one of the two primary backs for the Georgia Bulldogs, and then he'll sort of roll out to his right or left, and at that point, the defense has one or two options. Either make sure that all the receivers are covered down the field so he doesn't have a passing option that's immediately open, and then allow him to scramble potentially for some easy yards, or try to run up and make sure that he can't scramble for easy yards, but subsequently give him a chance to potentially make a real solid throw, a tight window type throw to one of his receiving threats. It can put defenses in a bind, just like the bunch formation that I mentioned earlier. Now, they threw a lot of quick short passes against Oregon, which could lead one to believe that they're going to want the opponent's defense to try to make tackles in open space. And after what happened against Arkansas last week, I won't be surprised if Georgia tries to carry that kind of game plan into this coming Saturday against South Carolina. They will also sometimes go with an empty backfield, which basically means the quarterback's the only person that is in the backfield. There may be one tight end that is lined up in line with the offensive line, but everybody else is out on the last scrimmage on the edge near the numbers. So again, they're not afraid to throw the football in this offense, and they're a lot less hesitant to call passing plays than maybe they once used to be. So the point being, what makes this offense so dangerous is how offensive coordinator Todd Munkin utilizes all the talent on the offense. Again, they're nothing like the Georgia offenses of old. Maybe your older brother or your older sister's Georgia's offense. They that That's not Georgia anymore. They're not just going to line up and try to win a war of attrition. They're going to go out there and they're just going to try to win some favorable one-on-one -on -one matchups where they see potential exploits against an opposing defense. So with that being said, let's get into their personnel real quick. Running back Kenny McIntosh is probably the best receiving back out of the running back room. He can catch passes out of the backfield at a pretty decent clip, and he's got great balance and can stop on a dime in order to get past defenders with like some quick hesitation moves. Stetson Bennett, he's really good at recognizing when it's time to get out of the pocket, and he is quick enough to get away from pressure. He can't take off running if he's got open grass in front of him. Kendall Milton, he might sometimes struggle in terms of picking up extra blitzers and pass protection. I did notice that just a couple times in the Oregon game. Could have been just an off day for him, but that's just what I noticed. But he does have a lot of natural dexterity when he runs. He runs pretty gracefully. It's very hard to bring down Kendall Milton when he gets ahead of steam going down the field. Lad McConkie is a quick and shifty wideout. If you had to label anybody on this offense as sort of like a scat back type player, where basically they try to get that player involved in a little bit of everything with the running game, with the passing game, short, intermediate, and deep, Lad McConkie is that guy. He just finds a way to make plays, so you cannot underestimate him. And of course, they got their tight end room. Darnell Washington, he can shrug off defenders and also hurdle 
old defenders as well, which for a guy his size is uh, nightmarish to think about. And then, of course, Brock Bowers, who was the star on this Georgia offense this past year, I believe was easily a freshman All-American and was a big reason why they won the national championship. He's the best tight end in the SEC for a reason. He's a guy that has probably legit low 4-5, high 4-4 speed, which again, for a tight end, is just unheard of. This is not a guy that you can take a bad angle on or else he can end up taking a play probably 75, 80 yards for a touchdown. He has done that before. There's no doubt Brock Bowers could probably do that on any given Saturday. So this is going to be by far the best tight end room that we will face all season. The linebackers are going to have to bring their A game here or else it will be a long day for those guys at the second level. So that does it for my closer look at Georgia's defense and offense in terms of their play calling and personnel. So now, another question you may be wondering, especially after the injuries to Muhammad Kaba and Jordan Strawn from this past weekend against Arkansas, might be, who are the players that are going to be available, or in this case, unavailable potentially, this coming Saturday against the Bulldogs? Now I'll get into that in just a couple moments, but first, a quick word from some sponsors. Welcome back to the final segment of today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, so as I mentioned before going into the break, the Gamecocks are going to potentially have some more players that could be unavailable for this upcoming Saturday matchup against the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs in williams Bryce. Shane Beamer said the following on Tuesday with the latest injury updates. David Spaulding. Cam Smith, Corey Rucker, RJ Roderick, and Alex Hunley are all questionable this week. He literally said word for word, he can't say for sure they're all going to play, but he also can't say for sure that they're not as we sit here today, speaking yesterday at his press conference. So we'll see how practice goes for the rest of the week, and hopefully we'll have those guys on Saturday. So again, very up in the air with all of those guys, but again, it does sound like just based on the numbers that the Gamecocks are going to be without another couple of really important players that are on their too deep for this game. So what is the biggest concern out of this specific group of players? Obviously, we don't want any of these guys to miss this game, but at certain positions, it's going to hurt a lot more than others. So which injury would deal the biggest blow, and what would be the impact of those guys being out? Well, with this particular group of players that we're talking about here, my biggest concern is without a doubt the defensive backfield, in particular David Spaulding and Cam Smith. Look, Darius Rush has already gotten banged up in two separate games. And thankfully, it seems like from what Shane Beaver said yesterday, he's going to be good to go to play this coming Saturday against Georgia. Cam Smith, we still don't know what happened with him after he exited the game this past Saturday against Arkansas. He pretty much, all we heard was that he walked into the locker room with a towel over his head. He had his helmet off. And we didn't really get a whole lot more beyond that. And David Spaulding, of course, is still recovering from shoulder surgery. He hasn't been able to play at all up to this point in the season. But with the way that the defensive backfield has been getting banged up, the Gamecocks would really like to get David Spaulding back as quickly as possible. Of course, again, as long as he is 100% healthy and ready to go. So... The reason why I say this is my biggest concern, the Gamecocks, of course, are very thin in the defensive backfield. We've got O'Donnell, Fortune, and Kawan Banks at those sort of outside corner spots. David Spaulding would be the backup nickelback if he was healthy. Otherwise, I think it's basically been a rotation at that spot if Cam Smith has not been playing there. And then at safety, we've pretty much had R.J. Roderick and Devontae Reed as the starters again from the start of the season. And then Nick Emmon-Worry is the second stringer at one spot. 
And at the second spot, I believe we have BJ Gibson, I want to say. But the point being, we have three true freshmen that are in the two deep in this defensive backfield. Which again, speaks volumes to what those young bucks have been doing back there. But it's never really a great sign for any college football team to have that many freshmen in your two deep. And basically meaning that if one guy goes down one play, you're going to be trotting out somebody that doesn't have a whole lot of college football playing experience. Out of all the true freshmen up to this point against this kind of competition, Nick Evan Warrior, I think, could hold his own pretty good. I think we've seen enough of him at this point to know that this kid is going to be a superstar over the next couple of years. I have no fear of saying that anymore after what I've seen out of him. But with Kawan Banks at corner and DQ Smith at that other safety spot being on the second string, which now, of course, I recall that, those guys, you know, again, it's one thing to be playing Georgia State, but it's a whole different animal when you're playing the Georgia Bulldogs, the number one ranked team in the country. So with everything I just mentioned earlier about Georgia's quick passing game, how they can attack you pretty much with multiple different weapons on offense. They can stretch the field horizontally and vertically, both in the passing and running game. I think that South Carolina definitely should have some concerns here. I mean, if we don't have Cam Smith and David Spaulding at Nickelback, you're probably going to see Marcel Style get moved into Nickelback for this game against Georgia, which means O'Donnell Fortune and Darius Rush are going to be your two outside corners. And then at safety, if RJ Roderick can't go again, Nick Emmanuel is going to be that guy. And then you got Devonnie Reed. But again, the worry is what if there's more? What if the injuries pile up? then that's when Carolina fans are going to probably start sweating some bullets, even though they probably already will with this matchup against Georgia that we're going to be watching on Saturday. So obviously, I think that's the biggest concern out of this group. Of course, with Corey Rucker, he's been out for many weeks now up to this point consecutively. I would be completely shocked, honestly, if we saw him get any snaps against Georgia. I think it'd be a lot more likely that you would see him come back against either South Carolina State or Charlotte over the next two weeks, just flip-flop those games on the schedule. But I think that more than likely, that would be where you could see Corey Rucker potentially return. And then Alex Huntley, you know, again, obviously would hate to not have him for this game. He is on the starting defensive line for a reason. However, South Carolina does have a lot more depth there compared to what they've got in the defensive backfield right now. So again, this defense just continues to take hits in terms of injuries. Hopefully, most of these guys are going to be good to go. But again, Based on what I said earlier, the law of averages just dictates that there's probably going to be at least one or two guys out of this group that will not be able to play on Saturday. Again, I would be willing to bet Corey Rucker would be one. The question is, how many more guys beyond him potentially could be out against Georgia? We'll just have to wait and see how things unfold as this week progresses. But... With that being said, y'all, that's going to do it for me on today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show as always. What are y'all's thoughts on Georgia's offense and defense? Is there anything that I didn't mention on today's show that you thought should have been mentioned? Maybe a player that's caught your eye in particular. Maybe any tendencies that you've noticed in the games that they have played. Also, how do you feel about the injuries? What's your biggest concern out of the group of guys that I just mentioned? I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts as always down below in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube. But of course, if you're listening to today's show on an audio podcast app, wherever you get your podcast daily, you can also feel free to shoot
shoot me a message at a lion underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that you have for me as quickly as I see them. And of course, if you've enjoyed the Locked On Gamecocks podcast and you want to get more news on the entire SEC conference, then go give Chris Gordy a listen on the Locked On SEC podcast, where he talks with the local team experts of Locked On from the SEC conference and it takes you across the entire SEC in just 30 minutes. So again, make Locked On SEC your second listen after, of course, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. I hope that y'all have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. <laughs>